This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. The Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Reds v Red Devils, Klopp v Ten Hag, identity v anonymity. Liverpool travel to Old Trafford on Monday night to take on Crisis Club Manchester United, both in need of a first win of the new Premier League season. Coming up, we'll discuss the game, react to Jurgen Klopp's press conference, as well as bring you our team selector and match predictions. To do all that, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Cool Paul Gorst, and the Brand Flakes boy, Matt Addison. Chaps, I trust you're both well. As per usual, Gorsty, I'll throw over to you and immediately let's react to Jurgen Klopp's press conference. And if you thought I was above immediately digging into a pundit on national media. Well, you've got me completely wrong. Let's get straight into it. Gabby Abogla-Horvi, Jürgen Klopp. Interesting. Yeah, it was. The last thing I expected was Klopp taking aim at Gabby Abogla-Horvi. But um, I suppose, in a way, um, I mean, sometimes people think that these managers are very premeditated in what they say. And some of them are. I guess Jose Mourinho was one who, who thought very carefully and meticulously analyse what he was going to say each press conference. And I think more often than not, Klopp probably gets more credit than than he deserves in terms of what he says. Sometimes people say, oh, well, he's clearly sending a message to so-and-so there. And you know, he, he's, he's putting pressure on the referee, you know, little things that he says. Because when he's digging out Gabby Bonnehor, I just think he's just say, saying things off the cuff. He said he watched the first half of United Brentford at the Axis training ground last week. And then on the way home, <clears throat> he was listening to the second half on TalkSport and Gabby Agbonlaho was getting stuff right into United, as you'd imagine. And it was just funny that he said, well, I don't remember him being a mentality monster when we beat Aston Villa 6-0 um, at Villa Park, if you remember that game. I think it might have been on a Valentine's Day in 2016. Um, so, I mean, there was no real rhyme or reason for him to to do that other than just it's just come to his head. Um, because it's not... You know, a, an obvious battle to, to choose, is it? Let's have a go at Gabby Agbonlahor. But I, I guess his general point was some of, these, some of these pundits go a bit too overboard at times. And maybe that is right. Um, I'm sure we're probably accused of doing the same thing as well, aren't we? So it was an interesting one. There, and I see Agbonlahor's already had a little nibble back himself, hasn't he? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I'm with you on this one. I, I think... Whilst it makes brilliant copy for us, something to talk about and was really funny when he just, as you say, not not expected at all. It just came out. Uh, I think, Matt, the point really was the fact of, of ex, uh, ex-players, fellow professionals almost, as it were, digging out sort of kind of fellow pros in the way in which it was done. Manchester United clearly haven't started the season all too well, but it shows just how attuned kind of Jurgen Klopp is to everything at all times that's going on. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the point, isn't it, really? The the kind of overreaction to, to Manchester United and to Liverpool, I think, is kind of the, the reason he was kind of talking about those things. And, of course, he mentions there that Bonehaw's already come back and, and had a bit of a dig and said, well, I was a, a mentality monster when I won 1-0 at Anfield, probably forgetting that was a couple of years before Jurgen Klopp was even at Liverpool, I think is, is probably an important point to make as well. But, yeah, it's it's one of those we, we can go a little bit over the top at, at certain points, I think. No, as much as Jurgen Klopp does tend when it suits him to say that he doesn't read things and he doesn't listen to things in newspapers and radio shows and, and all of that kind of thing, 
he doesn't look at social media apparently he doesn't listen to all of, of those things it's it, it's just sort of so ingrained now isn't it it's impossible to to ignore those things so yeah it was uh was interesting that he chose to, to pick out that particular pundit i think there's probably one or two more that maybe have, have escaped and, and it could have been them as well but yeah it, it's a bit of a reminder isn't it that sometimes you know two games into a season he's probably just wanting to, to play down really the the fact that Manchester United have been so bad, I don't think you can really deny. But I suppose his point really is, as much as they're being criticised, we're going to have to turn up and, and play well on, on Monday night. Otherwise, Liverpool are, are not going to get the point. So yeah, it was uh, was interesting, wasn't it? I'm sure it's probably not the last we've heard of, of that. But yeah, like I say, probably one or two other pundits. Maybe a little bit relieved that it wasn't them that were getting digged out because uh, it, it could well have been. Yeah, no, definitely. Before we get into the game itself, then analyse that and dig a bit deeper in Jurgen Klopp's press conference course. Let's touch in on one of the news lines that's emerged through the course of the week since Monday's, or Tuesday's podcast, off the back of Monday's draw with Crystal Palace. And that's the latest on on Naby Keita, report surfacing from Germany saying that he was unhappy and kind of contract talks have, have hit somewhat of an impasse and it's not really clear exactly what's going on with him, whether or not he may even leave before the end of the window. Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference, kind of, that was news to him. And if if you sat on his side of the desk getting asked those questions, you wouldn't even ask them because he doesn't see that there's there's any reason to, that the situation's all in hand. Yeah, I mean, I suppose Klopp would say that, wouldn't he? Um, there's an interesting one. He's into the final 12 months of his contract. Plenty of pros and cons as to why probably should and shouldn't get a new deal. I suppose we could argue that to the blue in the face and we pretty much have done for four years. I mean, since Cater joined, um, seems to be a, you know, grand on paper Cater, doesn't it? You know, we talk about the abilities there, but he's always injured and the fact he never got off the bench on Monday night was a big suggestion to me that there was another issue fresh from his illness. Um, but, uh, you know, speak, just speaking to one or two people during the week, it seems there's been it's maybe a little bit of a storm in the teacup. Um, no suggestions that a new contract is on the horizon at the moment, but you know a lot of people, you know people certainly me and Doyle spoke to were sort of pointing towards the fact that there didn't appear to be one with Mo Salah either, and, and look what happened with him. So um, you know, not I wouldn't say it's panic stations at the moment. Uh, Klopp was unequivocal a few times actually in the, the embargoed section that he's not going to be getting sold certainly this window. So uh, I think Liverpool are counting on him to be there for the foreseeable, and, and we'll see what happens in terms of a new contract. Yeah, no, definitely. Matt, in terms of, of Naby Keita and I suppose the build-up to this game, it was how you got the ball rolling figuratively to, to, to speak last season at Old Trafford in that 5-0 win. That kind of game performance where you see him at his best and I suppose with the, the question marks over Liverpool ahead of this game in terms of the forward line and, and moving forward, what attacking options they have, albeit he's a midfielder, he is one of the more offensive-minded midfield players in the squad and you feel could have a, a, a part to play maybe on Monday night. Yeah, but again, it's it's one of those where we've kind of been saying that his entire time at Liverpool. It's been long enough, hasn't it, where you've gone, there's a bit of an opportunity here. There's been enough injuries to Thiago or Fabinho or Henderson in that time or you know other players who've, who've been there at the same time as him. And he hasn't taken those opportunities in the past. I think it's, it is another opportunity for him, but it is very much you know an, an emphasis on another chance four years in into a five-year deal. The fact that we're you know still talking about it and still making our minds up as to, to which way it should go. I think 
probably just speaks volumes for kind of how divisive he is and, and how difficult it is really for, for Liverpool to to look at this and, and not just for Liverpool as well. I think it's it's probably a difficult decision for, for Naby Keita himself. I, I can understand, you know, if, if the suggestion that he is a little bit unhappy at Liverpool is true, you can kind of see a reason why that might be. I think he's probably looking at it and thinking that, you know, a lot of, of clubs around Europe who, let's be honest, would be would be in the latter stages of the Champions League, could look at, at Naby Keita and think that he could improve them. He could go to maybe somewhere in Italy if he played for, for Juventus or, you know, an Inter or a Milan or, or maybe played in France with PSG. You could imagine that he could be, you know, a really important player. It, it's just at Liverpool, maybe one or two other clubs around the world that, that you can't really say that for just because of, of the quality and, and the consistency that they've already got. So you can kind of see it from both sides. I think the only thing I would say in terms of, of this summer is that Liverpool just basically have have two options, really. They either let him go on a free or they give him a new contract. I just don't see a scenario that the suggestion from Germany was that Liverpool could sell him this summer. I just don't see that, that that's realistic. The fact that already this summer there is kind of certainly a want if not a need for a new midfielder the fact that they haven't gone and found someone that is out there and is attainable that they think is is somebody who can come in and improve this Liverpool team if if Naby Keita was to go you're then kind of backing yourself into a corner of there's not really anybody out there that they want but at the same time if Keita went they'd absolutely need another body so I can't see him leaving in this transfer window at this current moment even if he he was a little bit unhappy I think he'd probably just have to, to stick it out for the rest of this season but you know, beyond that, then you've got that decision. Either you keep him longer or you just accept that it's not quite worked. You've had five years of him and, and he moves on for, for a free transfer. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that is the road Liverpool go down, given he was the third most expensive player when he arrived at the club. But I suppose that is what it is. Uh, back to the press conference, of course. You know, I think I counted in, in three roundabout ways, Jurgen Klopp was asked in the press conference, is this the ideal time or the worst possible time to be facing Manchester United? What's your take on it? don't know, actually. Good question. Um, Klopp said, didn't he, um, he'd rather that he was going there when they were fresh off a 5-0 win, as opposed to... Yeah, he said, it's not, he said it's not dreamland, isn't it? Yeah. The, the scenario they find themselves in. I don't know. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Um I suppose analysing the kind of character of that United squad, you'd, you'd maybe say that it's a good time to be playing them because they're not a team who kind of used to offering big responses on the back of demoralising defeats. You'd back maybe Liverpool or a City to come back stronger if they, they had a major setback like that. But this United team seems to be increasingly used to it uh, over the last, particularly over the last 12 months. Um, you know, in the dark days of Solskjaer rain and then they completely down tools, didn't he, when Randjik showed up? So maybe it's a good time. Um, I certainly think, you know, we had a chance to speak to Virgil van Dijk in the mix zone after the Palace game and he was saying <clears throat> it's a bit of a perfect game for United that Liverpool need to be wary of because it's the biggest game in the, in the Premier League, it's the biggest game in world football, certainly the most watched fixture in world football. Um, they're at home and they've just come off a, such a damaging defeat so this is the perfect game for them to, to kind of show the world that they're not completely uh, yesterday's men but on the flip side I think Liverpool have got to do something themselves to, to a lesser extent to kind of kickstart their own season because no one had Liverpool drawn those two games that they have Fulham and Palace um, so Liverpool need a performance as well um, so maybe this is 
an ideal time for Liverpool to be going there and really putting down a market. They haven't, you know, traditionally they haven't shown up at Old Trafford, for lack of a better phrase. But last year was the certainly the exception to the rule, wasn't it? The absolute. Well, I was, was going to say, I was going to say that was going to be the next point. Was bar bar the last two visits. I mean, the last mm. two visits, Liverpool scored nine goals at Old Trafford. One of those yeah. was behind closed doors. And I remember doing this very podcast last year, the preview ahead of going to Old Trafford. And, and Ian, Ian Doyle saying that actually you, you can kind of forget about that visit to Old Trafford because yes, Liverpool scored four, but it was in front of an empty Old Trafford. And it'll be interesting to see if Klopp can finally kind of get that first win at Old Trafford during his, his Liverpool tenure and obviously went there and won 5-0. And I wonder now, 13 goals in the last three games, Matt, if you want to jump in, how how big that psychologically now is for Liverpool. Have they finally cracked the nut and going to, to Old Trafford and scoring nine in the last two visits? Is it more of the same? Yeah, I mean, I think it probably is in terms of, of last season, obviously the performance from United was, was atrocious and Liverpool went there and capitalised on it. I think probably... Less so the year before, obviously, without fans there, it's it's not quite the, the same, is it? But the fact that they've gone there and, and done that last season, I mean, you'd like to think that that kind of puts an end to it. I think for me, in the, the first couple of, of games, maybe not the Crystal Palace, or definitely not the Crystal Palace game, but certainly the Fulham game, it kind of felt like Liverpool had, had turned up and maybe were a little bit complacent. They kind of felt like if if they turned up, they, they'd just be able to, to roll over and, and stroll to a win. I think the one thing you can say about this Manchester United game is that Liverpool are not going to turn up with that kind of attitude. I think, you know, they're going to have to go there and, and prove the mentality is, is spot on, even if United are in a, a bad way, obviously with the crowd, all of the, the circumstances around it. I think the one thing you can guarantee is that Liverpool will be will be a little bit more switched on, certainly than what they were against Fulham and, and probably against Palace as well. So fundamentally for me, the way I look at it is that okay, it's it's a trip to Old Trafford and there is that sort of psychological element to it. But A, Liverpool did that last season and won and, and B, if they do just perform anything like their best, they're, they're going to be better than Manchester United and ultimately that's what they're going to have to think about. So, yeah, I take your point, probably more more last season's result than, than anything else. Um, probably the one before it was a better, well, definitely the one before it was a, a better Manchester United team. But I think that the crowd will play into it, particularly with it being, you know, Monday night as well. The fact that it's an evening game, that kind of sort of atmosphere will will play into it as well. Obviously, slightly dependent on what happens with kind of protests and, and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's it's always going to be a tricky game. But if Liverpool play anything like the best, they'll they'll probably win it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Gorsley, I said at the top it was identity v anonymity and I suppose that is the big thing in Liverpool's favour is albeit the first two games haven't quite gone to plan. We know what to expect from Liverpool. Liverpool know the patterns of play. They know what's expected from them. Meanwhile, Manchester United flipped from playing Christian Eriksen as a false nine one week to as a, a number six the next. They they just seem to be bereft of an identity right now. Oh, 100%. I mean, they have been for years, really. You know, going from... Louis van Gaal to Jose Mourinho was a, a bit of a change in philosophy and then Solskjaer's kind of... I mean, in a weird way, Solskjaer's probably the one who gave them a little bit of an identity in, in re- recent years, but even that was very anti-United, wasn't it? It was sit-back and counter-attack and there was a, a huge reason why they went so many um, games away from home without defeat because I think they've lost all of the last six or seven, maybe. Um, just going back to Matt's point about, about the, the game in 2021... You know, for all the kind of caveats of that season, 
I think United were also playing their third game in about five days as well because they had the situation where I think they were Europa playing League final, wasn't it? Yeah, and obviously that game had to be rearranged because of the, the protests. Um, so that was another reason why Liverpool were so convincing winners on that day. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the, I mean, at the moment, I'm not sure what, what they're trying to be. I mean, you've got Lissandro Martinez taking goal kicks, passing it to the goalkeeper. You know, I, I don't get that. If they're going to play it short, you want you want your 10 outfield players waiting to receive the ball, don't you, as opposed to what they're doing. It doesn't seem to be working. Brentford ran a mock. Um, didn't see the Brighton game, but, you know, caught the highlights. And by all accounts, Brighton were by far the superior side. They're the much better coached outfit of players who, um, who wanted to, to go and show what they can do. This United team just seemed a little bit of a, a ragtag bunch of characters who some of them are disinterested. Some of them are quite up to the standard of the club. Um, so it's a massive job for Ten Hag, to be honest. And I think, uh, going back to your earlier question, I think more that, more that we talk about it, I think there's probably a good time for Liverpool to be going there. They need a statement performance of their own. Um, and if United play, like certainly they did against Brentford, then I think Liverpool will once again put them to the sword without uh, too much to worry about. But um, they can't be as bad as, as that first half of Brentford, surely. No, but just coming back to you, Gorsty, how how big do you think Matt mentioned it before, referenced it. How how big do you think the atmosphere is going to be? I mean, we understand there's going to be protests against yeah. the owners, but it, it 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 seems like it's just pure apathy right now at Old Trafford. But equally for Liverpool rolling into town, I'm sure they they might take on a different guise. Yeah, I think I think they might be tending to, to get behind them a little bit more just because of who they're playing. I think if United were up against, let's say, Crystal Palace, for example, on Monday night. I think there will be a lot more antipathy and a lot more frustration in the, the ownership and whatever else they got planned. I don't know. I, I can't profess to speak for United fans um, because I don't speak to too many, but um, it's still the biggest fixture in world football, isn't it? Um, I think there will be some form of protest in a way that, you know, they all kind of scratches at the surface a bit. It does seem as though there's talk of a takeover at United at the moment, isn't it? Will, will that affect anything on the day? I'm not too sure. My, my biggest, uh, not worry, but it's, it's just a little bit of a pang of frustration is the fact that Liverpool won't have Darwin Nunes there up top leading the line when, you know, Lissandro Martinez is getting, seems to be getting bullied left and right, doesn't he? Particularly, if you've seen Ben Mees, Heather on the line, he was he was falling over the, the Brentford defender and he still managed to get there ahead of Martinez and just nudged it in and, I think just think Nunes would have been licking his lips coming up against Martinez on um, on Monday night, but it's not to be. It looks like it's going to be Roberto Firmino back, and um, I think Liverpool need a better performance from him actually because uh, it was one of his most anonymous that I can remember against Fulham. Yeah, let's drag things back towards Liverpool. I think we spent a, a, enough time there talking about Old Trafford and the Malays Manchester United are in. The reason I, I asked that was kind of talking of the atmospheres that not Liverpool have struggled in, but the bigger games against. Everton at Goodison Park and at Old Trafford in, in more recent years, those sides, albeit not last season, those sides have proved a bit of an obstacle for Liverpool. But Matt, the, the million-dollar question is what the Liverpool do up front, how do they work it and, and does it work? Yeah, I think it's it's a fairly fairly easy answer, really, with Roberto Firmino back in. I think that will, will just take care of itself. And you've then got Diaz and, and Salah, obviously. You'd like to see Diogo Jota kind of fit and, and available as soon as possible. 
I think Fabio Carvalho did okay when he came on the other night, but it would have been, you know, a, a bit of a big ask, I think, for, for him to, to start on the left and, and Diaz to play through the middle. So, yeah, for me, Roberto Firmino is, is a huge, huge boost, really, to, to bring him back in. Obviously, if Liverpool need something off the bench, maybe then you can start to, to turn to, to someone like a Carvalho to come on and, and try and influence things. But you'd like to think that the way that Manchester United have been struggling particularly in that Brentford game, but against Brighton as well, the way that they tried to play out from the back and just didn't look anywhere close to being ready to, to play the way that Eric Ten Hag wants them to play. You'd imagine that Roberto Firmino would be able to, to do something similar to what Brentford did to them in terms of that high press, winning the ball back. I think it'd be interesting to see kind of what happens with the, the midfield as well. You'd imagine Harvey Elliott could do that job. You mentioned Abby Cater before. Could he come in and, and do something similar? I mean, you've got to expect that Manchester United are not suddenly going to flick a switch and, and start going long and start doing things differently because they've lost a couple of games to start this season. I think the way that the Ten Hag has, has set them up so far is probably the way we're going to see them on Monday night. So, yeah, for me, that's that's the exciting thing. I, I can see, and probably if Darwin Nunez wasn't suspended, I'm pretty sure he would have started. But equally, I think there's there's probably a lot of reasons to be excited for, for, for Mino to be able to do that as well. Like Gorsty said, was was really poor against Fulham. Didn't really do much in that game, but I feel like the, the best element of, of Firmino is is obviously that press and, and winning the ball high up the pitch. And yeah, Brentford, very much a, an easy template for Liverpool to, to copy really from last weekend. We'll do the team selector in a bit, but Gorsty, is it is it as easy as Firmino comes straight back in? I mean, I look at somebody like Harvey Elliott and he played off the right during his loan spell at Blackburn. He even did play as a false nine at Blackburn. Statistically, he's been one of Liverpool's better players so far this season. Could you not See it. See a scenario where maybe either Salah goes through the middle and Elliot plays off the right, or even Elliot just plays and they pack the midfield out, and and it's basically Diaz and Salah as the the main primary two attackers. Uh, I, I can see see why why you, you you'd think along those lines, but I just think the game is too important to be um, experimenting with any kind of new formation or you know changing style or anything like that um i just think for me i was tailor-made for it if, if we do get the roberto Firmino that was you know running riot at, at old trafford last year and i was watching the highlights back of that game yesterday and he's involved in so much um obviously he didn't score uh salah hatrick jotter and uh, naby Keita, wasn't it but uh everything he should he just knits the play together so well particularly on that day and um i, I just think it's a big kind of you're back on the team. Nunes is out. Joss is still injured. Go and do the business, and, and you know, get that Fulham nightmare out of your mind and go again. Uh, but I, I can't understand where you're coming from with the question in terms of maybe a little bit of a, a, a spring and a tactical surprise, if you like. But I just think it's too important to game. Um, it would be anyway, even if Liverpool had started with back-to-back wins, and particularly now, given that they're still searching for that win, I think you just go with what you know. Yeah, definitely. It is a huge game, isn't it, Matt? And I suppose the balance of it and the fact that both teams are yet to win. Man United have obviously lost both. Liverpool have already dropped four points. Only adds to kind of the thirst for for Liverpool to get that first win of the season and the the approach to be right. It's not a case of being able to go there and maybe try and silence a a lively crowd or anything like that. Liverpool do need to go straight at Manchester United and and really rub salt into those wounds. 
Yeah, just take advantage really in in the same way that, that Brentford and Brighton have. I mean, they've basically used the same approach, haven't they? They've kept the ball very well when they've had it and United have struggled to get it back off them. But when United have had it, they've been able to win it back really easily and in really dangerous areas. So you'd think it's it's just set up really for, for Liverpool to go there and sort of impose their own game on on how Manchester United are going to struggle, really. I think it's it's almost a perfect sort of match for, for someone like Firmino. Luis Diaz, we've seen working back, thought he was excellent at that, particularly against Crystal Palace, was doing a lot of work going the other way. You, you just got to hope, really, that Liverpool take the chances. I think you know the, the performances of, of Liverpool and United so far this season haven't been anywhere near what they would have wanted, but certainly there's a lot more concern around those performances at, at United. For Liverpool, it's it's not looked great. Obviously, the results haven't been great. They didn't play well against Fulham. They were much, much better against Palace, and you'd expect them to be much better again in this one. But for Liverpool, it's it's only really a couple of little errors away from having you know four more points on the board than what they've got now. If they just done one or two things slightly differently in each of those games, maybe we'd be looking at the performances overall slightly differently. So, yeah, they've got to take the chances. You'd imagine that they'll create a fair bit. You've just got to hope, really, that it falls to the right players and they can get themselves ahead because obviously we've seen the, the pattern. I think it's you know over the, the last sort of 10 games, it's seven out of the last 10 where they've gone a goal behind or something along those lines. You can't keep doing that. I think in, in this game and in any game, but I think particularly in a, a game against a, probably a crowd as much as the players, which are probably in a, a bit of a, a fragile state at the moment. If, if Liverpool can get an early goal, you'd fancy them then to go on and, and win quite comfortably. If United were to score first, as, as Liverpool have had a tendency to allow their opponents to, to do of late, it's, it, it then becomes a much more difficult task. So, yeah, a fast start, a good start and an early goal, I think, and, and Liverpool would be, be pretty much halfway there to getting what they want. Yeah, that to me seems seems absolutely vital. And Gorsley, I was going to ask, the Liverpool change their approach at all to highlight the weaknesses of Manchester United? But I suppose when you boil it down and think about it, I suppose that the way to break down a, a team who wants to play a possession game, which is what Ten Hag wants to do at Manchester United, is counter-pressing. I mean, Liverpool are quite frankly the best in the business at doing that. And that's what both Brighton and, and Brentford have done. Similar styles of play, maybe not quite at the elite level that Liverpool are at. So hopefully it can be somewhat of a bloodbath at Old Trafford for Liverpool. But in, in terms of equally how they go about it, I suppose that first half is, or even first half an hour is going to be absolutely crucial. Matt mentioned there, how many times Liverpool have been falling behind of recent? That really needs to stop. Yeah, there's. I think it's there's now seven. The last seven Premier League games, I think Liverpool have conceded the first goal, and obviously conceded the first goal in the Champions League final as well. Um, so yeah, that that most definitely has to change. Um, I mean, I mentioned about Nunes, you know, little being a bit of a frustration that he won't be able to take advantage of the kind of Lissandro Martinez's weaknesses. But um, by the same token, as, now that I'm thinking about it and the more we've talked about it, I just think this could be the game for Firmino, to be honest, to, to kind of snap out of it. Because um, you, you mentioned there about Brighton and particularly Brentford, who were, you know, they got all their joy, didn't they, from pressing very high, very aggressively, winning a high up the pitch and then... Um, Sticking in the back of the net, and, and as you say, Liverpool are almost the kind of they were the trailblazers of that, weren't they? When Klopp first came in a few years back, and Firmino was was probably the one who was most effective at it. So, um, yeah, now that I'm talking about it more, maybe it's just set up for Firmino to remind everyone that 
he's still got a big role to play, and we've spoken about that a few times. But um, he was nowhere near it at Fulham, so maybe he might feel like he owes he owes the fans a performance. I don't know. Maybe that's digging into it a little bit too much, but um, certainly with, with him leading the line in the way that he does, and, and I think Salah will, will be desperate to get back on the score sheet again, Moni. And I think Diaz has probably got to take on a little bit more responsibility. Uh, generally, you know, in front of goal, now that Manny's not there, but now that Jota and Jota's injured and um, Nunes is suspended, I think he's got to take on even more responsibility on top of that. So um, we have a little bit of a tigerish approach from the front three that could be enough to to do the damage on uh, on Monday night. I don't think it's going to be another five nil. Um, and you know, doesn't have to be, does it? Liverpool just need to make sure that they come out of Old Trafford with three points and. I think a draw does absolutely nothing for Liverpool. I think if they draw and, and City have won beforehand, you're already looking at it as perhaps it's it's too much, too big a mountain to climb already. And that sounds ridiculous when we're still in August, but it's the, the margins between the clubs. Um, so Liverpool have just got to go win this one, I think, on Monday night. Yeah, it's not winning to heap the embarrassment on Manchester United. Mm. It's it's purely winning to to take care of their own needs. It's it's seven of the last nine Liverpool have conceded the first goal in the last six Premier League games since the one 0 win at Newcastle. And the only games in which they haven't conceded the first goal one was the FA Cup final that finished goalless, and the other was the Community Shield against Manchester City. So it is a malaise from last season that's carried over that does need to be rectified. And on top of that, Matt, I mean might not be the fairest of questions and tell me if it's not, but the Liverpool need more from Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. More in, in what way? More, more more on the ball. I mean, against Fulham, he recorded his, his worst kind of pass accuracy of the last sort of season and, and, and more. And I know against Palace, he, he was looking better, but the goal did come down that side. He and Fabinho beaten by Eze, who was brilliant on the night. And you can't forget there's another team on the pitch, but it just doesn't feel as though this season quite yet. He did score in the Community Shield, but in the Premier League, the first two games, we've really seen the true trend. No, I'd say we probably haven't seen the true trend so far, but at the same time, we've not really seen the true Liverpool either. I think it's it's a little bit harsh to, to pin the, the Eze goal one, on him. I was, are they not one of the same thing though? When Trent fires Liverpool fire and Maybe maybe in an attacking sense, I think less so in a defensive sense. I think for me, the, the one big takeaway that I took away from, from the game last Monday night was that I know Joe Gomez wasn't fit enough to, to play the entirety of that match, but if it could have been Joe Gomez for 60 and Nat Phillips for 30, maybe that game could have been completely different. So I'd, I'd, you know, I don't want to pin the blame for that result on Nat Phillips. Obviously, he's not in the, the first choice Liverpool centre-backs and that was, that was the bigger issue for, for me in terms of that. I think... In terms of, of trends on the ball, yeah, he wasn't great against Fulham. I think uh, Josh Williams has, has done a piece on it for us this week where he's, he's kind of picked into the, the numbers and, and seen that against Fulham, his, his pass and accuracy was lower than anything that he posted in the entirety of last season. So that wasn't great. But actually against Palace, the, the progressive passes did pick up. They were a lot higher. I think they already in one match, he's put together more than Reese James and Joe Cancelo combined. I think it, it was a lot better against Palace, but obviously... As Trent himself has, has spoken about, I think in the, the last few weeks, it's it's not just a case of you know putting the balls into the right place. It's it's then a case of those sort of touches going into the back of the net as well for for people to to look at it in a certain way of a certain number of, of assists. There were there were chances that were created, weren't there, against Palace? But Liverpool just didn't quite have the the conviction to to put them away. So 
yeah, look, it's it's not been <clears throat> it's not been it's not been a perfect start to the season for Trent, but I thought to be honest, even against Fulham, the the kind of Mitrovic thing, yeah, he didn't do brilliantly, but again, who who would be able to defend against that? I think it was it was a little bit harsh to, to kind of pick him out in terms of, of that performance just because you know the, the rest of his teammates weren't brilliant either. But yeah, you're right. If if Trent is on it, then Liverpool have got a much better chance of, of getting the victory. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it, it still it, it still feels very easy for me to or for for a lot of people, I think, to, to just look at Trent and go, he's the reason why Liverpool are not doing particularly well. I think there's there's been one or two other issues that have been equally if not more so important for, for Liverpool in the first couple of matches. No, fair play. Yeah, no, I, I, I meant it more in kind of a controlling and progressive way rather than defensively because we, we've dealt with that narrative more than once on this podcast. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Anyway, let's get into our, our team selector then before we round things off here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. And uh, well, I'll say Alison between the sticks, Gorsty. What about the back four? Yeah, I think Klopp said today, I, I was sitting a few rows back, but I, he either said about Gomez, he, he will play or he can play. I'm pretty much expecting him to start on um, on Monday night alongside Virgil van Dijk and um, Andy Robertson, who was taking up some interesting positions against Palace. I uh, don't know whether that's a new tactic, where he's kind of breaking beyond the, the front man, not someone who you'd have down as being the furthest forward, looking to stick the ball in the back of the net, but... Liverpool do try and stay unpredictable with their fullbacks, so maybe that's something else to keep an eye on at Old Trafford on Monday. Yeah, no, I was just going to try and dig out Andy Robertson's goal record at Liverpool. It can't be many at all, can it? I mean, three or four, maybe. Yeah, look at his numbers. He's got oh, he's got eight, eight eight during his time at Liverpool. Yeah, he's been at the club. This what his his sixth season at the club as well. So yeah, who knows? Maybe he's got many fancy football points for assists. Maybe he's he's looking to add the goals this season. He does have that competition going with Trent, doesn't he? Um, Matt, what about yourself? What, what are you thinking for the defence? Yeah, the, the same really. I think it's it's got to be Gomez, hasn't it? And, and Van Dijk. I think, you know, we, we mentioned the attacking contribution of, of Trent. I think Andy Robertson maybe didn't have the, the greatest start to this season as well. I think he's been, I think I'm right in saying he's yet to create a, a chance on the left-hand side, which is, is you know, hugely unusual really for, for someone of, of his quality. So, yeah, I think the back four picks itself, but I think I'd even more so than Trent. I'd be I'd be wanting to see a little bit more from from him. I think on Monday night. What about your midfield then, Matt? Yeah, midfield again. Obviously, there's certain options that are unavailable, and, and certain ones. I think Naby Keita. There's maybe a bit of a question mark. The fact that he didn't come on at all last Monday is is interesting. But he had a, a really good performance there last season. I'm going to go with Keita. I'm going to go with Henderson as the six and. Then Harvey Elliott to the right. I think you know Fabinho's maybe not had the the greatest few months. I think it's been you know, a bit of a, a difficult time for him. I think probably you'd expect the way that the game is going to go that you want someone who really can move the ball quickly and and shift the ball from from left to right. So yeah, Jordan Henderson as the six and and Elliott and, and Cater very much kind of pressing high intensity front foot, win the ball back and, and go and get some shots away at goal. Interesting. No, no, Fabinho. That would be the headline team news. Paul, do you agree with that? No, I think you know he hasn't been firing on all cylinders by any stretch. But I still, still think you need your most experienced, your most dependable players in there, particularly at a time when you've got no Thiago, Jones, Oxley, Chamberlain, Cater. There's always a 
you know, kind of whenever it's too sure how fit he is, I'll be so. I'm going to go with Fabinho Henderson, and the third one I'm not too sure. I know Cater was was absolutely flying at all tougher last year before Paul Pogba wiped him out. Um, but again, that was another one where he left on a stretcher, and you're thinking, oh, he's, he's he must have broke his ankle or something there. And I think he was back for the next game, which shows you that he's not always the most. It'd be harsh to leave Elliot out because I think he's done well. Uh, certainly on Monday night, but I'm going to go with Cater. You know, Thiago's out. This is your chance, Naby. Um, Thiago, obviously, you're going to be out for a few weeks, isn't he? So this could be a chance for Cater to really stake a claim, starting with Monday night alongside Fabinho and Henderson. No, no one's going Milner then, no. Milner first cab off the rank. Yeah, first, first sub. I think he'll play at some point, but I don't think I don't think he'll start. No, fair enough. I was going to say if if Gorsty had gone with with Milner, are we still calling that Brexit midfield of, of <laughs> Milner and Henderson these days, and and how long they keep going? But only underlines, doesn't it? Maybe that need for a midfield player, but we'll have to to wait and see if that is to happen in the last few throws of the the transfer window. Probably not likely to be, maybe next summer. But Gorsty, what about the the forward line then? Yeah, no, no secrets. Given the amount of I've talked them up, kind of willed their performance into existence. Uh, Roberto Firmino down the middle with uh, Mo Salah on the left and Luis Diaz on the left. Uh, Salah on the right, Diaz on the left. Yeah. And uh, Matt, Matt, you can still keep my dream alive of, of Harvey Elliott playing as a false nine, but I don't think you're gonna. No, I'm going the same as Gorsty. I think that that kind of picks itself. And I mean, yeah, there is there is a temptation, I think, to have Elliott in that front line just because of the quality that he's got. But for me, he's got to play in that midfield. I think it's that's his best position. That's where he's, he's settled this season. And I want to see a lot more of, of that kind of triangle that we saw at the start of, of last season with Elliot on the right of the midfield with obviously Salah and, and Trent. I think the more Liverpool can get those three working together and, and get that chemistry going, I think that's that's only going to be a positive. So, yeah, that, that's why I picked him, to be honest, in, in the midfield. And then, obviously, the knock-on is that you then have to leave somebody out and, and went with Fabinho because I think Harvey Elliott was, was a real real bright spark, actually, against Palace was, was pretty good. So, yeah, I think you've, you've got to find a way to get him in. Yeah, I forgot I forgot you'd, you'd not gone for Fabinho and had him in the midfield. Yeah, no, I, I, I had completely forgot about that. But uh, score predictions then. Gorsty, fancy another 5-0? <laughs> Going to be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, no, I, I, I think if Liverpool put in a performance, we know they're capable of with the team we've just picked, on the team I've just picked. I was, I was going to say, has Liverpool's performance level, though, Fulham aside, Klopp said this in the press conference, he was mm. really pleased with City, not pleased at all with Fulham, really pleased with Palace, especially after going down to 10 men. To me, it it feels like one of those those cliche sayings of they are ready to give someone a beating. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I could see where Klopp was thinking in terms of Liverpool were decent for half an hour in the first half. And he put Palace under a bit of pressure, considering it was ten against eleven for the for the last half an hour. But I didn't see, you know, a type of performance that I did across the autumn of last year, when Liverpool were absolutely flying. Um, they didn't really create anything. No, they had. Can't think of any massive chances that you think. Well, if you stick that away, Liverpool win, particularly in, in the second half. Um, no, Carvalho had one that just. Flash wide, but I think Palace were, were fairly comfortable, really. Um, so Liverpool are going to they're going to have to improve. Um, you could argue that United um, United performances have been far below what Fulham did 
and what Palace did. But um, no, this this the biggest biggest fixture in world football, isn't it? Still, so um, they're going to have to turn up. Yeah, no, they scored scored inside the first five minutes last season at Old Trafford. Then, then just before the quarter an hour mark, and then absolutely just just tore into them just before half time, didn't they? Did you did you give a score there, Gorsty, or did you avoid that? No, I didn't actually. Um, I'll say I'll say two two one, two one. But Liverpool yeah. scoring first, away win. Yeah, yeah. Matt, what about yourself? Yeah, I'm going to go two nil. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a decent start, actually, from both teams. But I fancy that Liverpool might just be able to, to get there in the end. So, yeah, finally, a goal first in the match for Liverpool, 2-0. Clean sheet as well. If Liverpool score in the first 10 minutes, I think they'll tear them apart. That's that's my prediction. But, uh, Matt, I think I think 2-0, 2-1 goes to, yeah, I think they're, they're solid enough predictions. But, yeah, it would, will be very interesting to see how fast Liverpool start and if they can get into to Manchester United and see what that then would lead to for both sides. But anyway, that's time for us to go. Gorsi's dog letting us know that we've we've been on far too long today <laughs> on this edition of the Blood Red podcast. We will, of course, have all the build-up and reaction on Monday across the Liverpool Echo website, as well as here on the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Guy Clark, Matt Addison and Paul Gorse, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.